The Wachowskis. These creative siblings have redefined science fiction a couple times over since breaking out in a huge way with The Matrix. 2008's Speed Racer was a gonzo visual feast for the eyes, and 2012's time-spanning novel adaptation Cloud Atlas has also proved to become a cult classic in its own right. Lana Wachowski even recently returned to the well for a fourth Matrix entry, The Matrix Resurrections, a confused but touching follow-up to the movie that unleashed a generation of black duster coat and sunglass sporting counterculturists. 2015 saw the release of Jupiter Ascending, the Wachowskis' last movie together before going separate ways for personal projects. The movie was an original space opera described by one of its stars as Star Wars meets The Matrix and was intended, as so many would-be attempts at breaking the genre box office are, as the launch of a new franchise. Sadly, twas not to be. Jupiter Ascending didn't come anywhere close to recouping its overblown budget and bad reviews and worse word of mouth have stuck with the project to this day. Consistent critique centers on stilted, excessive dialogue and downright goofy performances. But as with any flick, quality is in the eye of the beholder. With that in mind, regain your wings and splice a little DNA as we find out what the f*** happened to this movie. Jupiter Ascending finds its roots all the way back in 2009, when Warner Brothers president Jeff Rubinoff and his desire for original intellectual property and the potential for a brand new franchise. Having worked with the Wachowskis happily throughout The Matrix, its sequels, Speed Racer, and Cloud Atlas, Rubinoff contacted them about creating something new for the Hollywood giant. Rubinoff then greenlit Jupiter Ascending based on the strength of their initial treatment for the movie. Development kicked in around 2011, with the Wachowskis already having an initial draft of the script for what would become Jupiter Ascending. It was partly inspired by Homer's The Odyssey, one of Lana's favorite works. As she put it, quote, The whole concept of these almost spiritual journeys, and you're changed. The Wachowskis wanted to put a female hero front and center who doesn't use violence to win the day, but empathy, compassion, and negotiation. The idea led to the backbone of the story for Jupiter Ascending which sees a penniless maid discovering she's the genetic reincarnation of a former empress of the universe, for lack of a better description. The plot sees Earth reimagined as a breeding ground of livestock, engineered by space-dwelling humans led by a ruling caste who ultimately farm people for a liquid that keeps them eternally young. The young hero is rescued by a hunter-soldier type, crossbred with a wolf, who is hired to extract her from Earth by parties unknown at the beginning of the story. The inspiration for these two main characters came from Dorothy and Toto from The Wizard of Oz. As relayed to the Toronto Sun, the Wachowskis laid out the comparison. Quote, Can we bring a different kind of female character like Dorothy or Alice? Characters who negotiate conflict and complex situations with intelligence and empathy? Lana went on to point out that Dorothy had a little dog who was always barking at everyone. And this became the genesis of the character of Kane, the human-wolf hybrid who was hired to rescue the heroine Jupiter Jones and take her to her birthright offworld. As the Wachowskis continued working on the script, production and visual effects teams had already began working based on their first draft, the Wachowskis being caught up in finishing Cloud Atlas at the time. Grant Hill, line producer and unit production manager on all the Wachowski movies since The Matrix Reloaded, described the brewing design of the space environments as, quote, original. And whether you enjoy the final product or not, there's nothing to suggest that Jupiter Ascending is nothing if not original. In March 2012, 
Deadline was reporting that Mila Kunis and Channing Tatum were being eyed for the leads of Jupiter and Kane, respectively. Kunis, for her part, stated that she was a huge sci-fi nerd and therefore only contemplated doing a sci-fi film by going with, quote, the royalty of sci-fi, meaning the Wachowskis. That said, she didn't expect to get the job, having just read the script to be nosy in her words. Obviously, the Wachowskis liked what they saw in her audition and cast her promptly. It didn't hurt that she spoke Russian, with the character being born in Russia and having a heavily accented family. For Channing Tatum's somewhat surprising casting in a Wachowski movie around the time, Tatum explained this turn of events to GQ later down the line. Quote, They sat down with a lot of people. I think they had asked somebody who were the good actors in town that were very physical and could do fighting and stunts and stuff. And my name was one of them, so they sat down with me. And we just really got along. I love Lana and Lily, then known as Andy. Part of Tatum's attraction to the project was its size, as well as the challenge the Wachowskis put before him. They really wanted to know if he was up for a challenge physically, quote, more than he had ever been challenged before. The answer, yes. By December of that same year, Eddie Redmayne had joined the cast as the lead antagonist, a princeling looking to either kill or coerce Jupiter for his own intergalactic agenda. At the time, his role was unrevealed and production was slated to begin in early 2013. As 2013 rolled around, the cast started to fill out, with Sean Bean joining the cast in February, followed swiftly by Douglas Booth. Bean would be playing an intergalactic former legionnaire and ally to Kane and Jupiter named Stinger, with Douglas Booth playing Titus, brother to Redmayne's character, a character with a murky motivation. By March 2013, composer Michael Giacchino was announced as being responsible for the score, and in June of the same year, he was recording in the iconic Abbey Road Studios. Principal photography began in April at Warner Brothers Studios in Leavesden in the UK. The initial budget was $130 million, but would later far exceed that number. The production later moved to Chicago in July through August, where an eight-minute chase sequence took weeks, if not months, to film as the Wachowskis wanted to do it as practically as possible. Tatum's character Kane uses anti-gravity jet boots to fly around and fight, for which visual effects supervisor Dan Glass stated that his stunt team tried to film these sequences practically rather than the CGI where possible. Quote, Glass's team had only 15 minutes a day to film the scene, a tiny window of pre-dawn light, so they created a camera capable of squeezing more photography into each shoot. Mounted to the nose of a helicopter, the six-camera rig, called the Panocam, could capture nearly 180 degrees of footage. By stitching together multiple overlapping angles, the filmmakers could effectively pivot and swing through the action in post-production, regardless of the helicopter's actual flight path. The Panocam would later find its way onto ensuing movie productions, according to Glass, meaning that Jupiter is sending pioneered technology that would later take seed in the industry as a whole. Tatum later told GQ that he never saw the Wachowskis during the stunt-heavy scene. Quote, I barely saw the Wachowskis because I was over on the stunt set stage, and they're basically in their director's tent, and they're just texting back and forth to the second unit director what they want me to be doing. There's third unit, fourth unit, all these crazy things going on. I had no idea. He also mentioned that he was not used to a production on this scale and what it would require with the extensive wire work. You can't say he wasn't warned, as the Wachowskis did promise a challenge unlike anything he had encountered before. As he later put it, quote, I had no clue what it was going to mean to make a movie like that, and it almost killed me. I think we were behind the eight ball from the very beginning. Those movies, I like to call them pseudo-controlled avalanches. Regardless, 
Tatum described the Wachowskis as real artists after filming had concluded. In spite of what the final results of the movie may have been, Kunis and Tatum were clearly all in on the production, and the cast enjoyed working with the Wachowskis. Technically, they were pioneering new technology, and the cast were being pushed to deliver something authentic and original, despite the sci-fi trappings. Notably, in August 2013, composer Michael Giacchino commented that they were recording the movie's score ahead of each scene being filmed. He noted that the composition for the film's original soundtrack wasn't tied down to any specific timings, which was a lot more freeing. The Wachowskis had recently adopted this approach in the filming of Cloud Atlas from the input of their co-director Tom Tykwer, a composer himself. 2013 was a turbulent year for Warner Brothers, the studio behind Jupiter Ascending. dark in here. After a number of internal shakeups, producer and president Jeff Rubinoff departed. It was confirmed in June of that year, before he left, he had been the man to greenlight the Wachowskis movie, not to mention approving their cast, their production design, and their costumes. This departure left the Wachowskis adrift at Warner Brothers without their main advocate. But before he left, Rubinoff being their agent at ICM and having handed them final cut, the Wachowskis were essentially free to do whatever they wanted during production and post-production. Deep into post by June 2014, audiences were expecting to see Jupiter Ascending on July 18th, and this was after the movie had moved up a week in December of the previous year. All of a sudden, the movie's release was pushed to February 6, 2015. The delay was chalked down to needing more time to complete VFX work. Apparently, the decision took Warner Brothers six weeks to make, but they made it nonetheless. By this point, the budget had ballooned to $175 million, and a week test screening in April had the studio quite skittish. This was also after two rounds of reshoots to clarify plot points and make the movie easier to understand, according to Variety. One of the major VFX vendors on the movie, Framestore, is quoted as saying that more time and money for VFX had benefited Warner Brothers on Oscar contender Gravity, so why should more of both be an issue on this picture? At this time, the movie was quoted as having a marketing budget of $100 million to even make a dent in the market, and that's potentially in addition to the budget it had written down on paper. Variety at the time did not have high hopes for the movie being a success. By the time the VFX shots were done, the budget had increased to $210 million. Meanwhile, the Wachowskis cut barely eight minutes from the movie in post-production, bringing the movie down to an above average and slightly unwieldy runtime of two hours and eight minutes. It's either a testament to the siblings' ability to edit as they go, or a sign of director indulgence gone haywire. The final judgment is down to each individual viewer. A quiet screening at the Sundance Film Festival in January, with empty seats, disappointed viewers and critics banned from viewing at all didn't help win over hearts and minds. But how did wider audiences react? Well, critics didn't exactly help, and bad word of mouth after the movie's wide release certainly didn't help, no matter how much the Wachowskis lauded their movie's originality ahead of time. As they told Time Out magazine in February 2015, quote, as a society, we don't value originality as much as we once did. We hype and we champion derivative material. Even a puff piece from Wired decrying the need to attend original blockbusters in the theater to ensure more are made in the future didn't make an impact. The movie dropped in early February 2015 to a paltry $18.3 million opening weekend domestically. The film's IMAX 3D opening obviously didn't help boost ticket sales much either. The Cinderella story of a Chicago maid finding herself the heir to an intergalactic empire 
and the dog-eared former soldier sent to rescue her and unwittingly fall in love with her fail to resonate with critics or audiences. David Edelstein of Vulture called Jupiter Ascending, quote, miraculously unmiraculous. Mark Kermode labeled it incoherent and preposterous. Jupiter Ascending currently sits at a dismal 28% on review aggregator Rotten Tomatoes. Its descriptor being, quote, pleasing to the eye but narratively befuddled, Jupiter Ascending delivers another visually thrilling misfire from the Wachowskis. The audience rating currently sits at just 38%, showing that general audiences were at least a little kinder, be it because of Channing Tatum's jet boots, Channing Tatum's dog ears, Channing Tatum's blonde hair, or Eddie Redmayne's raspy voice. What we do for them is a mercy. Regardless, the movie crawled forward to earn shy of $184 million worldwide. Considering its budget had increased to $210 million that we know of, Jupiter Ascending has only been remembered as a box office bomb ever since. In the intervening years, after Eddie Redmayne won a Razzie for Worst Supporting Actor, the actor would later explain the decision for his strange, raspy voice in the film. As it turns out, his character's larynx had been ripped out by Tatum's, and therefore Redmayne thought it suitable to affect his voice as such. If only anyone knew at the time, or during the events of the movie. In the end, Jupiter Ascending proved to be a fairly emotionless romp through a version of Earth and its place in the cosmos that treats humanity as cattle, and its champion as a woman who finds herself easily manipulated from scene to scene until finally she lets her opponent fall off of an unstable piece of flooring. Mila Kunis herself would later decide to eat a cow's tongue rather than try to explain what Jupiter Ascending was even about or why she took the role. The action sequences, for all their innovation, are unmemorable, and the antagonists aren't fun enough to root against. For all the emotion and compassion that the Wachowskis wanted their heroine to be, Jupiter Jones instead comes across as passive. Channing Tatum doesn't even fare well with his jet boots, bad dye job, and pointy ears, and Sean Bean is wasted in a completely thankless role. The spaceships and VFX might be impressive, for the time at least, but it's almost a decade later and Jupiter Ascending already looks outdated. That said, should you be so inclined to rewatch the movie and investigate associated YouTube videos, you'll still find members of the public who enjoyed it and continue to adore it. They are, however, a slim voice in the internet's void. And as far as many are concerned, audiences and critics alike, Jupiter Ascending was a misfire and a bomb. <laughs> you miss sucker.